Bayern Munich and Manchester United exchanged seven goals at Allianz Arena before the Bundesliga powerhouse secured a one-goal victory at home. Their performance was not perfect, but United were simply much worse, especially in the goalkeeper position with Andre Onana. Welcome back to CGTN Sports Talk. I'm your host Li Xiang, and I'm glad to be joined by my colleague Josh here. Great to be back. So forgive me for calling this game not good because there are seven goals and、right. so many highlights, but still, it doesn't feel like a competition in the top level. You know what I mean? I mean, that's what I was going to say. Like I've seen this be called a seven-goal thriller, and yes, there are seven goals, but like it wasn't thrilling at all because. Yeah, neither team was at their best, and on one hand, with Bayern Munich, that's not really their fault. Thomas Tuchel wasn't available; he got a red card last season、yeah. against in the quarterfinals against Manchester City that carried over here. So, I believe it was his, his assistant Zolt Love, I believe,、mm. who was a Hungarian. He was、um, on the sideline, and quite simply, for about half an hour, Bayern Munich were terrible at the back, but incredible at the front. So you had Leroy Sané just with like the freedom of the pitch, basically as soon as the ball went in his direction. After several chances, got on the twenty-eighth minute. Then Serge Gnabry followed up again, maybe five minutes later, and a half an hour. It just felt like the game was over.、Um, United did get through quite often, quite a few chances at the back, but、uh, Darius Abubakarno and、uh, Kim and Jay. As as the centre backs, they tidied it up, but it was a bit of a, a bit scruffy.、Mm-hmm. But then in the in the second half, the issue was that they came out with this two nil lead against a mediocre team, and it looked almost from the start as if they felt like they'd already won, which at two nil you can't really do. Yeah. And then you had、uh, Rasmus Højlund and Casemiro scoring two goals in that half, both of which were just like out of the blue goal box,、uh, goal mouth scramble. Hoyland catches a short pass off Marcus Rashford, and with Casemiro, you had him basically on the ground, p- tipping it in past、uh, Svenore, which was just a case of, you know, when I was watching it, it reminded me of what we were saying last season and the season before when Oli was there, where this is a team where every moment of success. Came through individual brilliance. If you give these elite players just a little bit of space, a little bit of time, they'll figure out something to do. Kieran found the space. Casemiro found the tiniest of gaps from what was a mistake to make to get those goals goals back. In between, there was the penalty from Harry Kane off the、uh, Christian Eriksen handball.、Mm-hmm. So in all of these scenarios, it was like they were always two goals behind, one goal behind, playing catch up. Which, because, like I say, it was a performance on individual moments, individual brilliance. There simply wasn't enough there.、Um, Matthias Tail, when he came on in like the 87th minute, like five minutes later, he scored, made it four two, and then Casemiro got that one with the last kick of the game, basically where he knocked in a header from a Bruno Fernandez free kick.、Mm-hmm. And again, it was a case where Bayern were completely outclassing the team, outclassing Manchester United when they moved forward. And crumbling in the back, and then with a player like Casemiro, who has a lot of experience at this level, and also at the opposite end of things, Rasmus Højlund trying to prove himself, they just needed those little gaps that, personally, I think were caused by Tuchel not being there, and because of that, it was a four-three game. Which, if you were to watch, just watch the watch the、uh, scoreline, maybe check the highlights, 
you didn't see what was happening in between. Mm-hmm. You would probably assume this was a close game, but it's you know, I'm looking not. at this. Yeah. yeah, and I'm looking at the scores now between Kane's penalty and Casemiro's goal. That's 53 minutes to 88 minutes. That was a big, a big amount of time. Where honestly, the game was quite a slog. Mm-hmm. It was um, the midfield of Bayern with Goretzka and Kimmich just kind of slowing things down, trying to get it to Musiala when he came on to move things forward. And then on the other side of things, uh, Manchester United just struggling to get anything going. But then, as I say, they get to the front, they get to Hjoland, they get to Casemiro when he moved up. Even guys like Pelestri and only a second starter, Marcus Rashford, give them a moment, they'll do something. But under whatever it is Ten Hag is doing right now, there's simply just not enough there to call it a cohesive team. And because of that, they lost. That's true. So the problematic backline of buying, uh, they started with Pamecano and Kim who they bought during the summer's uh, transfer window. And I read comments that they should have sent the Ligit earlier. And do you think, mm. like, which of the start two starting centre-backs do you think should be held more responsible for, I don't know, their underperformance? Honestly, I'd say it's more to do with uh, Lima uh-huh. out on the right. Because oh. the thing is with uh, Dieter Pomacano is, yeah, he was the one who was struggling. But so often he was faced with a one-on-one or two-on-one with... Rashford and Fernandes closing him down. Yeah. And that's because Goretzka and Kimmich in the middle were pushing so high that it was leaving a bit of a gap that I guess Lima was supposed to fill in. And instead what happened was he would always push a little bit high or quite simply because they were always going for these uh, goals and these, uh, these transitions. I mean, from the perspective of United aren't so good at attacking, there was too much space. And then when someone started right through... It was just on the centre-backs on their own. So if I was there, I would have said, yes, bring on Delict, but perhaps put it put it as like Kim, Delict, Upamecano as like a back three. Yeah. And then have everyone else maybe move a bit forward to make it like, I don't know, 3-4-3-1 three, three, or something. Mm-hmm. So judging by the managing style on offense of Tuho, though he was not there, Bayern actually, I think, press forward even harder than they were under uh, Nagelsmann. So in this kind of new system, do you think Musiala benefited the most than, say, more than uh, Gnabry or Sané or even Harry Kane? I I think so, because at least in this game, he had so much space to work with. Like, when um, he came on, I mean, when he started, he was on like the first hour and a half, basically. Mm -hmm. Um... He just had acres in the midfield because that's the thing. Kimmich and Goretzka were like moving forwards, but they were kind of, let's say, moving the ball forwards, remaining in place, or heading towards the wings and feeding it through to Sane and Gnabry. Whereas Musiala on his own was basically dealing with Casemiro, who isn't really, I mean, he's getting on in years. He's not really known for his legs anyway. Yeah. And he was just running into acres of space. There's plenty of times where he was being closed down. He just kind of twinkle-toesed around three or four players and got the ball off to Leroy Zane, for example. So I feel like he has been, if not the star player of this new formation, mm-hmm. the one who feels like he has the most freedom to be himself. True. 
I mean, we know that、um, when Ten Hag took over, he bought a lot of expensive players, especially from Ajax, Casemiro, and then Anthony. So a lot of people were saying they like you spend so much money for what? At least in this game, Casemiro proved that he was the right one. I mean, he yeah, he is old, and the Real Madrid kind of like kicked him out, but he still could play, and he saved the team. Maybe not completely, but he saved them some faces. So, like. Do, Is it kind of ironic that he is now one of the best players on the roster? Yeah, because that's the thing. I feel like he was brought in specifically to be like veteran leadership in the locker room. Yeah, someone on a night like this where he can kind of boss the midfield. You go here, you go there, but like just be almost like an on-field manager, kind of like Jordan Henderson was for、uh, Jurgen Klopp on the field. And instead, he's proving he's like leaps and bounds above everyone else in this situation because. I guess it's one of those things where, because he does have the veteran knowledge, he is finding these little gaps. Like I said, each of his goals was like finding this yard of space, this second of time,、mm-hmm. and exploiting it to its maximum. Was everyone else was just kind of trying to repeat the same tactics over and over and over again, and quite simply, it wasn't working. So Casemiro has been something of a revelation, at least. In this squad, in this particular season, that's true. And Onana is a new signing. He is a disaster. Yeah, like that's it. The the worst thing is about Onana is they got rid of、um, their last keeper David de Gea. After I mean, he'd been there for a very long time. He was still there when、uh, Alex Ferguson. He was one of his last major signings. And the thing with de Gea is he always had this reputation of being a bad shot stopper, but he was great at doing like these big flashy saves because. He was great at leaping across the goal. I saw a break, tactical breakdown or something of his body language, and he used to hold his hands. I was, I believe they phrased as like a pendulum position,、mm-hmm. where it's kind of behind his body, so he's off balance. So if he gets, sh- if a shot comes close, he doesn't have the strength to immediately deflect it. If there's a shot at an angle, he'll swing across, and it'll carry him far enough they can knock it away. With Onana. It seems like he's not very good at those kinds of things,、no. but also something is coming to him at mid-range. He kind of loses his distance to the goal line、yeah. and gives them plenty of space to follow through. Because you know, this was for this was a four-three game, but if those shots like Sane got through one time and it went off the post,、uh, Gnabry from the other side went through quite a few times. And honestly, if it wasn't for、uh, Sergio Reguilón and Diego Dallo at the far sides of the United pitch, kind of. Forcing Bayern's wingers out,、mm-hmm. they had to go to a really steep angle. I think it would have just been like a route proper eight two against Barcelona because the amount of shots that were just going beyond Onana was insane. Like I know he did really well in Serie A last year, but you know that's a very different league. Yeah, and to go from that to this position. It's already feels like a disaster to me. That's true. And talking about the key roles, both good and bad, played by new arrivals, Bellingham definitely played the most important role on this night for Real Madrid because the only goal he scored was in the stoppage time. Yeah, that was one of those games where you come away from this, and I, when it reached like the 80th minute, I was thinking to myself, "Is this going to be another one of those big upsets?" Like. There was that game a season or two ago where Real Madrid played against Sheriff Tiraspol,、yeah. smallest team to ever compete in the tournament, and they lost.、Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where in the group stage, Real Madrid always do this. They always have a game where there's a wobble and they drop points, and you wonder if they can do it. And they eventually just get back into it. But this, 
you ha- you were in this position where they were just throwing bodies forward, and Union Berlin knew already that they were in for a tough night, and they just hunkered down as deep as they could. Like they were already set up in like this three-five-two position with the idea of having like uh, Trossard and Kral like pull back and become like a back five. Mm-hmm. But then when you have um, like I didn't even know he was here, but Leonardo Bonucci, who was one of the all-time greatest defenders for me, having him here just controlling that centre-back position. Like, he was just, like, dominating that, and he was just orchestrating, I mean, this entire defense that they were just holding together, holding together, and then I just knew when they brought him off in the 80th minute and replaced him with Paul Yekel, I knew that was a bad decision. Like, I get Benucci is one of the oldest players on the on the field, but he's a genius at, at defense. And as soon as he came off, the you could see the holes appear, you could see the gaps appear, Real started basically dragging the ball right across that back line. So if even there were five or six players there, there was holes opening, spaces opening. And then with that final corner, the way they played it, I don't know who it was they pulled out, but just created a gap where the ball could be launched in. And to be fair, it like ping-ponged around a while. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just a clear goal, but then for Bellingham to just find the right spot and just knock it in in the 94th minute. Like, Bellingham has been incredible so far. There were... Always this this belief that when he was at Borussia Dortmund, everyone knew he was destined for somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But would he go? Would he go on and be excellent like Haaland, or would he go and just disappear like Sancho? Yeah. And then he goes to Real Madrid, which is probably the biggest stage of all that he could have gone to. And he is basically—I know he's not the captain, mm-hmm. but he looks like the captain. He has that leadership quality. He has that constant, just positive attitude. Always finding the right spaces. Always finding the gaps. Always finding the right things to do and then here he was dying seconds of the game catches the ball on an awkward rebound and sends it in so it's one of those things where on one hand it's ridiculous to say a big three points against a team that's so small it was in Bundesliga 5 two seasons ago yeah. but Union Berlin put on such a great performance that it required this moment of genius to really break them down mm-hmm. and That's really the best end. That can be a very dramatic scenario. But now I'm looking at the stats of this game. Real had 32 shots versus four by Berlin. Mm. They had seven on the target. Well, Berlin had nothing. They had the ball control of 75%, more than 75%, actually. It took them so many efforts without a goal, and they had to count on Bellingham to score that. It's mm-hmm. not really the first time this season. I'm just thinking that maybe during the window trans- uh, winter transfer window, Real may want to do something about their striker line. Yeah, it's a thing which I was wondering when I was watching this because a lot of teams, you can kind of see the generations go. You have like the newcomer, the very young guy, the guy who's in their prime, then like the veteran. Whereas when I'm looking at this uh, Real Madrid side, you either have veterans like Modric and Toni Kroos Or you have these young guys like Chuamani and Bellingham, and it feels like there's just nothing in the middle. And while this young talent is as great as it is, it does feel like there's something missing mm-hmm. from at least, if not the front front line, from the midfield, where you still have you know Modric. Yes, he's a genius, but you can see he's slow. Yeah. And you know when you see that he's backed up by David Alaba and Antonio Rudiger, you can just see that like the movement forward isn't there, the tracking back isn't there. It's causing weaknesses to appear when they really shouldn't be there when you consider how good the other side is where you have Chuamani, Bellingham in the middle, then an up front with like Rodrigo and Camavingo out on the right. 
it feels like a really imbalanced imbalanced squad and that's I think a thing which is going to hold them back unless like you say in the winter transfer window where they do something don't necessarily know who I know up front uh, this new guy the guy uh, Yaselu yeah. didn't really pan out today mm. but I feel like for them for me the issue is getting some younger legs in the back line and perhaps having like a younger metronomic midfielder who can step in because you have in this game in particular, you were having like Modric and Cruz like swapping out for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, sorry, no, it was there. I believe it was Cam. Yeah, Camavinga was swapped. Camavinga was swapped out for Cruz, but it was to get to replace Modric on the other side because he got traded out as well. Um, and it's one of those things where you can see that they can't play both at the same time, but both offer like incredible passing abilities to move the ball when you can't sprint it through. If they can have someone with like better legs, but still that ability, yeah, I know it's a difficult thing to ask for. But like, if they could have someone like that, mm-hmm. that's kind of what they need, I would say. That's true. I mean, younger, faster, sharper. Are we talking about Kylian Mbappe? Well, that would be much further up front. That would be in like I'd say the Yasalu or yeah. Rodrigo position. Uh, so that's it. I feel like they've set themselves up where. They've almost got that whole section covered. Mm-hmm. It's more like the the back line area that that they need. You know, I wouldn't be shocked if we see a move in a few years back for a Declan Rice to come in uh-huh. and fill in where like where like a Rudiger is, or where Tony Cruz will somehow be in that kind of deep lying midfield position. I wouldn't be shocked if that's where they go next. That's true. So. Uh... If I won't ask you to make a comparison between like which does Crease's goal between Bellingham's goal and the Lazio's goalie Prividal's goal in the ninety fourth minute, like what is what yeah. your answer? So the thing with the Lazio one is it was the ninety fourth minute by a player whose number on the back of a shirt is ninety four, yeah. who was born in nineteen ninety four. So it's one of the all time. Most insane goals yeah, yeah. I have ever ever seen. Like, and also that game was like not even particularly competitive. It was this new Atletico Madrid where I feel like Diego Simeone. He has I wouldn't say completely changed his style, but he's definitely become aware that the grinder out anti football park the bus style teams were figuring it out. It used to work. It used to get under people's skin. Now people knew you could kind of wait it out. And I think he's also realized in the past few seasons, even if you don't wait it out, mm-hmm. it ends up making a situation where the last ten minutes of a game are just incredibly tense. True. So he's still set up in a very defensive position. I mean, it was a back five, and then it was like yes, meant to be like five three two, but it was like five two one two with Griezmann and Morata way up, Barrios right on the center circle, and then uh, Urente and Niguez slightly ahead of that back five. So. He was always setting up to have like a brick wall. Uh, Barrios got that deflected shot early on in um, about, I want to say, half an hour into the game. Yeah. And then because Atletico already set up with this massive defensive wall, didn't push any further. And this, I think, is where um, Simeone is caught in two minds. Because like I say, he's moving on from that anti-football style. But he still isn't willing to push a game and give himself daylight. He was still willing to be like, okay, we have the 1-0. That will be fine. Mm-hmm. And then, as we were saying, in the 94th minute, Lazio just went for it. And of all the people, Ivan Provodel just gets right down there and knocks it in and basically stole the game, but also stole the narrative. So it's one of those things where I feel like with Simeone, he's half in, half out. 
And if he would have just pushed it a little bit further, probably could have taken away all three points. But Lazio not giving up and getting a goal like that, you know, mm. that's what I love this tournament for. That's true. And I think so much for today. Thank you for listening. Hopefully we'll be hearing from you guys very soon next week. See ya. Speak to you then. Bye-bye.